It's 6 o'clock on Saturday, the 15th of September 2018. And a very warm welcome to The Weekend View here on SAFM. Top stories in the next hour. President Sildar Maposa has urged South Africans to emulate the late Steve Bantu Biko. The police minister, Becky Taylor, says that schools and Shabins have become crime hotspots and the Department of Basic Education has reported a decrease in the number of pupils taking accounting as a school subject. President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged South Africans to emulate the late Steve Bantu Biko by forging a nation filled with humanity and selflessness. He was addressing the 19th annual Steve Biko Memorial Lecture at the University of South Africa in UNISA in Pretoria last night. The lecture was organized in partnership with UNISA, and the Steve Biko Bantu Foundation. It was attended by members of the Biko family and some of his contemporaries, including the Reverend Barney Pichana and Dr. Mampela Rampele, as well as the former First Lady Zanele Mbeki. Our political correspondent Ntebo Mokobo was there and filed this report. The Steve Biko lecture at UNISA last night was the latest in a series of events held to commemorate the 41st anniversary of Biko's death. He was murdered at the Pretoria Central Prison on the 12th of September in 1977. But the lecture was held two days later to coincide with the 20th anniversary of the Steve Biko Foundation. The event was slightly disrupted when some students burst onto the stage, chanting struggle songs and waving placards, some of which read, Remember Marikana and Biko is ours. But unfazed, President Cyril Ramaphosa continued with his speech urging South Africans to live up to the expectations of the late Bantu Biko and his generation by forging a new nation with true humanity. Bantu Steve Biko led people, not parties. And his revolution was that of the mind, not one of membership. Steve Biko was a selfless revolutionary whose epoch defining ideas contributed significantly in making South Africa what it is today. His thoughts continue to guide us in our quest for a true humanity. And it is this humanity that we must find. And it is this moral campus that we must find if we are indeed to accede to the level that Steve Biko wanted us to accede to. And for the realization of a society based on a true humanity as envisaged by Biko, the president said the country needs selfless leaders and a hard-working society. Our quest for a true humanity requires that we have leaders of integrity and a society that values honesty and hard work. Now in the 25th year of our democracy, we must acknowledge with shame and regret that we have failed to live up to the standards of the selfless leaders that came before us. We now know of powerful individuals who use positions of authority to plunder the resources of the people. Commissions of inquiry, criminal prosecutions, and lengthy prison sentences are necessary instruments to tackle the scourge. President Cyril Ramaphosa also urged South Africans to work in solidarity to overcome the many challenges facing the country, like inequality and exclusion. This has to be a national task, and it is pivoted around a value that Steve Biko promoted so well, solidarity. And it is in this regard that we call upon our compatriots, those who have become so well endowed, to reach out to those who are still right at the bottom. This is a moment that this country should come together Whether we're talking about land, whether we're talking about opportunity, this 
is the moment that is called for people to act in solidarity. Meanwhile, Kosnati Biko from the Steve Biko Foundation decried the fact that nothing much was named after Biko and some of his contemporaries who dedicated their lives for the liberation of this country. Many of these heroes, they have no statue dedicated to their honor. They have no street, no bridge, no school, no community hall named or dedicated to them. And they have become blurred images in their communities and in their families. And many will never, ever write a book. When the movie maker Steven Spielberg produced the movie Schindler's List, he took some of the proceeds and he conducted an international oral history project and has gone on to record 50,000 survivors of the Holocaust experience. And this project has provided the most valuable archival database to young scholars and historians. And I implore you, Mr. President, that it is in order to consider investing some of our own national resources towards a similar project for our own history in South Africa. And that was Nkosinati Biko, ending that report by Antero Mokobo in Pretoria. It is now 16 minutes past 6 o'clock. Let's talk education. The Department of Basic Education has reported a decrease in the number of pupils taking accounting as a school subject. The report further indicates a sharp decrease of accounting pass rates from 69.5% in 2016 to 66.1% in 2017 matric results. Now, for more on this, we joined on the line by the spokesperson for the Minister of Basic Education, Troy Martin. So, very good morning to you, Troy, and welcome. Good morning, Elvis, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, what could have contributed to this decrease in learners taking accounting as a subject? Well, we've actually put our finger on it, to be honest. We found that one of the things that we did a few years ago is we decided to link up accounting with math. So we made it compulsory for learners who take accounting to take pure mathematics as well as opposed to maths literacy. And this, we found, had quite a negative impact on the subject itself. I mean, the intentions behind this decision were good because if you want to, for example, study a become accounting, you need both mathematics and accounting. Mm. However, not everyone who takes accounting as a subject is going to go on and become an accountant. Um, you could become a bookkeeper. There's a, there's a number of different avenues that accounting can take you into. For example, a become marketing um, doesn't necessarily need pure mathematics. Or, or various other uh, career paths don't need math, pure mathematics, but they do need accounting. So what we found is as a result of forcing learners to take pure mathematics if they wanted to do accounting, is a lot of learners then decided not to take accounting. And this had a very negative impact on the subject we saw of the past few years, a massive decline in uptake of the subject. Um, mm. And as a result of that, it was actually principles that, that in the main, when we were on our um, road shows with the minister, they are the ones who actually raised this concern with us, saying, you know, so many learners are not taking accounting because you force them to take mathematics as well. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this, we've now reversed that decision. So we're hoping that this will have a positive impact on the subject again and that we'll see more learners taking it up. When was that decision reversed, though? It was reversed uh, at, the be- at the end of last year. So it would be this year would be the first year that we would hopefully see that uptake beginning to happen. Mm-hmm. But has enough been done from the department's perspective to improve teaching skills, particularly for maths and, and even accounting? 
Well, obviously, we work with a number of partners, um, especially in mathematics, um, but obviously, we can always do more. We have quite a comprehensive teacher development program. I was with the MEC of the Free State just yesterday, and he was talking how, about how he works very closely with Investec as a, as a partner who come into schools and assist, and they assist with developing teachers, but also with, with developing and, and teaching the subject to learners in innovative and different ways. So they, we are doing, um, we do have programs, but obviously um, we can always do more, and we, we love working with partners in the various fields. So, for example, we work with some of the auditing firms um, in, in these areas, mm-hmm. um, but obviously the auditing firms themselves are going through a bit of a difficult time at the moment. So um, I think it definitely is something that we, we can put more focus on. Looking at the report, uh, are urban schools facing the same challenges as rural schools in relation to a drop in accounting? Well, like I said, it was this, it was this uh, combination that caused this drop. So it, it did affect um, both urban and and rural schools, but really affected all schools um, because a lot of learners felt that they they didn't want to take pure mathematics, they'd rather take maths literacy, um, and as a result, then they couldn't take accounting. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much. That's the, spokes- the spokesperson for the Minister of Basic Education, Troy Martins. Uh, meanwhile, the South African Institute of uh, Professional Accountants, SIPA, says a drop in the number of pupils taking accounting as, a, as this subject is a grave concern. To discuss this further, we joined on the line by SIPA's technical executive, Faith Nguenya. A very good morning to you, Faith, and welcome. Good morning. Ms. Nguenya, why do you think um, is there a grave concern in relation to the drop in numbers of pupils taking accounting as a, as a subject? Uh, Ms. Martin has actually mentioned one of the reasons, which is um, the, the requirement or the previous requirement where, uh, where, where meds, or rather accounting students were required to take pure meds as well. But what we also... Uh, hear from the principals as uh, the the issue. It is the from grade seven. Is it from grade eight? I think from grade eight they do uh, EMS, mm. and that is a combination of uh, a bit of accounting, a bit of business studies, and in some so- some ways a bit of economics. And um, if they do not have a very good motivating teacher in who knows accounting as well. Uh, they will tend to concentrate on the business economics uh, section. And if that teacher obviously does not quite understand accounting, um, it's not going to, 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 to encourage the learners as far as accounting is concerned. So that is one of the, of the things that are being picked up as the reason that uh, learners do not have teachers that uh, motivate them or where who makes them to actually love the subject. Because I think you can agree that in a, when we grew up, one of the reasons why we did the subjects that we did, it was more the enthusiasm of the teacher mm. and that pushed you into that uh, subject. Correct. So that is one of the reasons that we actually are 
our findings. Mm-hmm. Now you heard and, you heard there the department. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you there. You heard the department mm-hmm. says now they it was compulsory for for for, for the pupils to take maths and and uh, and accounting together. Uh, and now they've reversed that since last year. Do you think that that will increase the the number of pupils taking up accounting now? It actually has not because I was speaking to uh, the director in the Johannesburg East uh, District. And he is still complaining about the drop in numbers. In fact, uh, in the Johannesburg East, even from 2017 to 2018, when it's no longer compulsory that uh, they also take uh, pure meds, the numbers have dropped. But that is one district. Maybe in other districts uh, you will find that it has actually increased. I mean, there are schools where you will find that uh, out of uh, 300 uh, matricul- matriculants, only seven are doing mathematics. All right. I mean, are doing are doing accounting. Accounting. So now, that 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 obviously is is a grave concern. What impact will this decrease have on accounting as a profession in a country? You think, Ms. Nguyen? Um It's it's actually not going to be felt uh, like in the next few years. Uh, uh, this is now the ultimate uh, outcome of it. Because obviously those learners will still be going into tertiary uh, uh, studies. But what happens, because what I must also just mention, is that to get into a uh, uh, finance-related degree or diploma, most of them do not necessarily require accountancy as a subject. However, if you read uh, the, the, the research that has been done, a learner that has done accounting at school, when they get to university, they do not find the subject to be too daunting, as opposed to somebody that has never done accounting. Uh, for universities and universities of technology, the requirement is that you must have math. And in most of them, they require pure math. So we are actually going to see lesser pupils that will be going into directly into their uh, preferred course of study because, one, they have neglected maths, pure yes. maths, because they change subjects. Mm-hmm. And now when they get to university, they cannot be mm-hmm. accepted yeah. into the mainstream program. Just briefly. Others will then have extended programs, which means you will now take longer. Yes. But we feel they are actually, in any event, going to take longer because they will still be grappling with the with the subject yes. itself, accounting. Yeah. Faith, just briefly, in 30 seconds, what are you doing as CIPA to attract students to the accounting profession? We have initiated some programs. Uh, we started with uh, the winter school where we are assisting learners. Uh, we will be assisting them during the September-October uh, vacation as well. But also what we want to do from next year is what Ms. Martins was talking about, which is the assisting the teachers as well, the teacher development programs. What has successfully worked in, in Free State, uh, the, the investor problem, the program that she was talking about, it has proved to be a success where they have got the Northwest University uh, together with business assisting the teachers. Right. So we are going to be initiating a similar program that we will start off with here mm-hmm. in Gauteng in some of the, of the uh, districts in Gauteng, yes. and then we will roll it out 
uh, countrywide. But yes. obviously, it requires resources, financial yes. resources. Yeah. Ms. Nguenya, thank you so much for your time. That was Cyprus Technical Executive Faith Nguenya. Now, earlier, we spoke to the Minister of Education spokesperson of Basic Education, Troy Martins, and she joins us now back on the line. Troy, sorry I, let to, I had to let you go earlier, but I want to follow up with you with one question. Uh, teacher Union Satu in the Northwest has accused the Department of, uh, of Education for failing to adhere to their call to implement safety measures in schools this after a teacher was uh, stabbed in the Northwest. Uh, do you have a comment to that? Well, I think it's, it's, it's a bit unfair to make those types of comments. Um, I think that we are doing everything we can. You must remember that our core business is learning and teaching. Um, But that said, we have a number of initiatives that promote school safety and safety in schools. For example, one of them is that we have a protocol with the SAPS where every school is um, in the process, well, is supposed to be linked up with a police station. And so far, we have 18,000 uh, schools that are linked up, successfully linked up with the police station. And what that means is that police at any stage can come to the school um, and they offer, for example, they give talks to learners about various safety issues, but they can also conduct searches in our schools. Um, there was an unannounced search by SAPS at a school in Khateng just last week where uh, two learners were found with, with mm-hmm. one was found with, with a weapon and another was found with illegal substances. So we, we are doing a lot in this area, but unfortunately we aren't a security company, we aren't a security enforcement agency, we're not the police. Mm-hmm. We are there to provide teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. And to the, to the best of our ability, we, we yes. want to provide safe spaces and safe environments for learners. And you work with um, the police in order to facilitate that? Yes, All absolutely. Right. Thank you so much for your time. That was a spokesperson for the Minister of Basic Education, Troy Martins. Uh, let's hear it from Willie and Christiana. Very good morning to you, Willie. Good morning, Elvis. Uh, you see, Elvis, uh, there's, a, there's a common songs that we're hearing from our officials, such as uh, police department, health department, lack of resources, lack of resources to keep these. So, Elvis, if that song is, is continuously being sung, that there's lack of resources, what do you do, Elvis? Mm. Because I think that is, that is the basic of the situation. That is the, the underground of the situation. Yes. Look at look at the issues of uh, our borders now recently, where one of your officials, when he was asked about how to control the borders, and then he made mention of lack of resources. Mm. If we lack resources, then we have to think twice to say, okay, the feeding schemes at schools should be should be cut a little bit yes. if that song is so sung yeah. so regularly. All right, Willie. Thank you so much for your time and joining us. That's Willie and Chris Johanna. But that brings the time now to exactly six thirty. We're asking you this morning: What can we do as a collective to curb crime in South Africa? Uh, this after the horrible uh, statistics were released by the Minister of Police, and also there's a crime summit that's currently happening in Boxburg. So we're asking you: What can be uh, can we do as a society to curb uh, the uh, the crime numbers? Let's take a look at what you're telling me on the SMS.
baseline. Errol Presley says we should always be on the alert. I've seen people leave their cars running with their keys still in while they go and purchase goods. Now that in a store, says Errol, that's not a very good idea. Good morning, sir. The only way to curb crime is to not tolerate crime. It is unfortunate that the very police minister, Becky Taylor, is putting his trust on, uh, on at times, uh, found to be involved in crime. Therefore, the minister must be clear as to where he stands on that. Uh, as for the high number of murders in PE, he must look at the insurance's hits where doctors, police, insurance people, funeral undertakers. Mm. Home affairs staffers are involved and traditional leaders are involved. I thank you, says George Makosa uh, in Port Elizabeth. Uh, That's uh, there from George. R says all should clean house first, uh, plus play their role. The police, with a reason, doesn't have enough credibility at the moment. Call for all to work with them premature. So says R. These are some of your comments. You can keep them coming and we'll read them as we continue this morning. Now, a full bench of the South Gauteng High Court ruled on Wednesday that the reserve prices should be given safe in exceptional circumstances and that the banks can't sell your house if you have paid the arrears. Legal expert advocate Douglas Shaw spoke to my colleague Stephen Kirker about the court decision and what it means for homeowners. Yes, it was a great breakthrough. Um, we got a, a breakthrough as well in December last year when the new rule came out, which we'd campaigned for for a long time, to say to remove the incredible law that said there couldn't be a reserve price and allowed the court to actually put in reserve prices. So then the question was, well, would the courts actually put in reserve prices or would the banks persuade the courts not to? And incredibly, again, we have banks like ABSA arguing in the papers and elsewhere that there should be no reserve prices except in exceptional circumstances. So they, they were still trying to get uh, to, you know, they had no sympathy for their clients and what they'd done. There's no remorse. There, there's no let's make a better system. There's just a, no, 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 let's keep doing this. It's fine. The court has decided, in our view, very correctly, that there must be reserve prices except in exceptional circumstances. Now we just hope that the court will set reserve prices of a, a, a large enough. But yes, definitely a breakthrough. In terms of those exceptional circumstances, I mean, that to me, I immediately get a little bit worried about potential loopholes that the banks are going to try and exploit if they do have a defaulting client. I mean, how nailed down are those exceptional circumstances? Well, I think with the way it's worded, even courts, uh, judges that are very sympathetic to banks, and there are some, um, even those judges will, will say, well, look, it has to be exceptional and it, it will have to really be exceptional. I don't think judges, judges tend to follow the law. You know, they do. If it says exceptional, then they're going to say, but that's not an exceptional circumstance. I hope anyway. Um, but it would have been nice if they'd given at least some guidelines. I mean, I, I've got an idea. I, I've got a, a clear idea of, of what, how you should set reserve prices. You should take the price of the house at market value, normal market value, if it was sold by an estate agent over three or four months, and then take off anything they owe, obviously. So if they owe money to the municipality, if they owe money to the complex, then you take that off and, because that must be paid to them. And because the buyer has to pay these things, so you've got to take it off the price. And then you take 90% of the value that remains. So if there's nothing owing apart from on the bonds, then you take a million-run property and you try and sell it for 900000 And only if it doesn't sell for 900000 and I think there's lots of people out there that would take a house at 10% off, then you drop it every three months by maybe 5%. So most of the properties, if it's marketed properly, would sell for 10% off. Um, but if it didn't, then you would drop it gradually 
until it did sell. That, that's the best way to do it. And they, that's, by the way, the way they do it in South Korea and Japan. I wanted to ask you about sort of best practices, but you've hinted that. We don't have much time to talk about it. In terms of the way people were affected before, it strikes me that some people who would have had a fair amount of equity in their houses ended up in these difficult situations. And because their houses were sold dirt cheap, ended up essentially having wealth taken away from them. Was that the case? Absolutely, absolutely. Disastrous situations where people had worked all their lives for whatever they've got in their their bond. It might be 500,000, their life savings. And suddenly the bank comes in with no sympathy and not as a last resort like they say they do. We've we've got thousands of cases, hundreds of cases, where banks have not sold as a last resort, despite what they plead in this case. Um, they've sold the property and wiped out that whole person's savings. And then they've got the cheek to come after them for any shortfall, which is just all these shortfall debts must be wiped out because it's due entirely to the bank's negligence that that happened. One of the most heinous things about the system we had before was the opportunity it gave corrupt individuals, uh, whether they be private individuals or working within the system, the opportunity to essentially hand over properties to each other. Does this block that? Yeah, I'll make it much more difficult. I mean, I've said before that if you allow uh, for properties to be sold for 70% off, 90% off, then of course you're going to get corruption. That's going to draw corruption like flies. You know, they're going to, people are going to be all over that if they're corrupt because, uh, you know, you can make hundreds of thousands in profit at some poor person's expense that's lost a job or is at a medical crisis or something. So, yes, that's going to make it much more difficult, presuming the courts do put reasonable values on the properties that they, they put. 80% of the value or 90% of the value and that they don't just make it the value of the, whatever's outstanding on the bond because that's the danger. The banks are going to say, well, if there's 300000 outstanding on a million rand house, let's make the reserve price 300000 So hopefully the, the, the courts won't do that. That still remains to be seen and I don't think they will, but uh, we need to see what the practice is now and whether further guidelines are needed through from the legislature if, if small prices are still the order of the day. The other thing which strikes me about this is it does give uh, – there's a much bigger cushion for consumers in that if they do default but they do manage to arrange the finance to dig themselves out of the hole, they aren't faced with that pressure of a deadline that banks were able to put on them before. They can recover their mortgages, can't they? Yes, they can. That's the second thing that was good in this judgment, and it comes out of Encata, the case NKATA, which was uh, came from the Constitutional Court within the last two or three years. Uh, and what that basically said is the banks can't sell your house if you're if you're not in arrears, and and that means even if you've nothing, it's nothing to do with the legal fees or any fees they put on. Just the capital and the interest. As as long as you're up to date on the capital and the interest in your bond, they cannot sell your house. But there comes a time when they would have instituted these proceedings. But if you do pay those arrears, it automatically ends that. Is that what happens? Exactly. That's what this court judgment made clear. And I wasn't entirely clear about it myself before this judgment. I thought it was the case, but this makes it solid. That the, the con- What it says is the contract actually revives. So even if the bank has cancelled the contract and they've said, look, we don't want anything more to do with you, we, you know, if you, even if you pay off your bonds, we're not interested, they can't do that now. If you've paid off your arrears, they have to keep going with the contract. The contract that was enforced before becomes the contract again. It has that legal effect. That is legal expert advocate Douglas J. Shaw speaking to my colleague Stephen Kirker in Johannesburg. That brings the time now to 6.40.
Sometimes issues are raised and contested through strikes, riots, protests and labor unrest, which could leave your car, property or business building exposed to damage. That's why you need special risk cover with Satria. Satria is the only insurance company that offers special risk insurance to protect the assets of all South Africans against extraordinary risks. Be a step ahead of the unexpected. Ask your broker about Satria today or visit satria.co.za for more info. Satria is an authorized FSP. Sasria covering the extraordinary. Hey, sweetie, what's wrong, love? Our relationship has not been the best recently, Tamba, and it needs some spicing up. I'm aware, my love. That's why I have booked an appointment at Men's Clinic International. <laughs> oh, thank you, my babe. Women love a man who puts their needs first. Thank you, baby. Men's Clinic International for help with your relationship difficulties. SMS help to 32110 or send a please call me to 072-315-2574. G's and C's apply. SMSs cost one red. Elvis Preslin on SAFM. 641, our focus story, schools have become crime hotspots. Now, this is according to the police minister, Becky Kele. He was addressing a summit on the white paper on community safety in Boxburg, east of Johannesburg. Kele says rape, murder, and all sorts of crimes happen even at primary schools. Angela Bolawana reports. Raping one another, stealing one another, assaulting teachers, assaulting lecturers, lecturers assaulting... Uh, even in primary level, teachers impregnating young people 11, 14. Police Minister Bekitrele wants a special crime-combating focus on schools. He says serious crimes beyond theft and pickpocketing are happening at schools and this needs urgent attention. So schools have become so much the center that for us to deal with the crime and secure the environment, we'll have to pay a lot of attention. That's why I don't know what happened. Kele was addressing a crime summit in Boxburg two days after unveiling national crime statistics, which revealed that 57 murders are reported in South Africa every day. He also called on municipalities to close shebins at midnight because they also contribute to high crime levels. You know, we pick up so much crime around shebins. No doubt about it. Either a license, worse if they're not licensed, you pick up dead bodies around shebins, Many of young girls get raped around Shibin. Many people got pickpocketed, attempted murder and all that. One thing that you find is that they cause havoc for the communities. I just imagine the music at full blast at four. Crime expert Gareth Newham from the Institute of Security Studies says the crime rate can still be lowered with the right strategies. Murder doesn't happen everywhere in South Africa. Literally 13% or only 149 police precincts out of 1,144 police precincts record 50% of the murders. So we now know that we need to focus our resources in very specific places, particularly against young men uh, or for young men to try and help them not be violent. But what we've also seen recently is very big and above average increases of the murders of children. In the case of young boys, a 20% increase in the last year, and of women, 11% increase. The White Paper on Safer Communities emphasizes collaboration in crime prevention. Social Development Minister Susan Shabangu stressed at the same summit that crime affected women and children the most. But we remain to be a country which continues to face high rate of violence against women and the children, and as the world normally says, We are number one when it comes to this. 
the high level of uh, violence against women and children in South Africa is particularly alarming. And uh, there you have it uh, as we continue this morning. It's the focus story uh, uh, on, on uh, this morning on The Weekend View with Angela Bolawana ending that report for us there. Now, remember, you can engage with us because I'm asking you that question. What do you think we can do as a collective, as a South African collective to curb crime in this country? Uh, now, the role of society and socioeconomic factors in crime prevention is top of the agenda, uh, was top of the agenda at the Anti-Crime Summit in Boxburg. The police minister, Becky K, addressed that event on Thursday where he called on all departments with the police to tackle the scourge. Now, the summit follows that release of the crime stats on Tuesday, which saw significant increases in violent crime. And therefore, I'm asking you this morning, what can we do as a collective to curb crime in South Africa? Do you have a solution for me? I'll take a look at what you're telling me in, in a short while on the Facebook page as well as on uh, uh, the uh, SMS line. And you can call me on that number 0891-104-208. But for more on this, we joined on the line by the Chief Director for Policy and Research, responsible for drafting policies and the content manager for White Paper on Policing and the White Paper on Safety and Security at the Department of Police, Bilkis Omar. A very good morning to you, Bilkis, and welcome. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much for having me on. Ms. Omar, uh, share with us your thoughts in detail as to what happened at that police summit, uh, what came out of it. Okay, thank you. Um, so essentially, <coughs> excuse me, in, in 2016, Cabinet adopted two white papers, the white paper on policing and the white paper on safety and security. So the purpose of yesterday's summit, basically, what we, we, we wanted out of it was to get collective ownership of the white paper on safety and security and the supporting draft implementation framework that we had developed. And we also wanted agreement by stakeholders to integrate safety outcomes into their own policies and to their strategies and to their plans. So the great part of this summit was that we got the uh, uh, right stakeholders that we had, we had intended to reach. So, for example, for... Um, we need buy-in and support for the white paper, and we had two great ministers who supported the process, apart from our Minister of Police. We had the Minister of uh, Social Development, Ms. Susan Chabango, and the Deputy Minister of uh, COCTA, um, Deputy Minister Nell. So um, it, was, it was a big coup for us because we wanted them to you know, take a collective ownership to partner with us to, and to support it, and they, they were very good Deputy Minister, uh, minister Nell, um, I spoke about the integrated urban development framework and how it's linked to the white paper on safety and security. And he and he and he said he supports the paper. And the one thing was he just cautioned that we need to be practical in implementation because the implementation takes place as municipalities. Now, uh, tell us or take us through um, the support that you've received for the uh, and and perhaps that you reach consensus on the white paper on safety and security at the summit. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I said, I mentioned that we got the support from the two ministers, but uh, in terms of consensus as well, we had uh, amazing turnout. We had, um, we had um, participants from different organizations. For example, we had the members of the Portfolio Committee on Police. I mean, the chair was there, he attended on Friday, but on Thursday and Friday, all his police members were there, apart from one or two. Then we had the National Council of Provinces, the, the, the chairperson attended. So we had parliament and the MPs who supported the process. They participated in the process. We had commissions on day one and day two, and they were part of that. 
that we had some MECs for safety, then we had the um, municipal managers uh, uh, for safety as well, and then we had many civil society organizations. We had traditional leaders, we had CPS, we had NGOs and academia, and importantly, we had SALGA, the South African Local Government Association. So they they basically the um, association of municipalities, and they even participated in the summit mm-hmm. prior to it. You know, they were part of our task team. Yeah. So we had good buy-in and we had support and uh, uh, for, the, yes. for the white paper. So what is going to happen next following the resolutions that were taken at the summit? So I mentioned this is a draft implementation framework, right? After the cabinet adopted it, we drafted an implementation plan. And what we uh, want to do now is we've invited the provincial departments of community safety, this is our sister departments in the provinces, to host similar summits because we want to take the um, um, consultation broader to local level. So we've invited them. We want to consult. But parallel to that, we've taken it upon ourselves that we want to go identify 10 hotspot areas with SAPs uh, you know, the high crime rate areas, and then you want to begin implementing this uh, white paper in these areas. Now, we are not implementers, but we facilitate implementation. Mm-hmm. Now, we, local government that will, uh, that will implement. Now, we're asking our listeners this morning what we can do as a collective to curb crime. Does the white pe- uh, paper speak to that? Oh, yes. It's got a very big role for civil society and academia and communities, essentially, to be. You see, the white paper on safety and security is not just a government approach. And it's not just a national approach, it's a national, provincial, and local government approach. The three spheres are involved. But it's, a, it's apart from government, it's a whole of society approach. So we'd love society to mobilize in the areas, be the eyes and ears of the police, inform the police what's going on. So, so and, it's, and, and the point of this is also that the police alone cannot prevent crime that we need the eyes and ears of the community, that we need the other government departments, we need municipalities coming on board. So, yes, communities have a larger role to play. All right. Thank you so much for your time and joining us there on the line. And that's why we're asking you that question. Uh, that was Bilkis Omar. Uh, she is a long title there, content manager for the White Paper on Policing and White Paper on Safety and Security at the Department of Police, Bilkish Omar. That's why we're asking you that question this morning. What can we do as a collective to curb crime? That white paper speaks to that, she says. What do you think? Let me take a quick look and uh, let's first take a caller here from uh, Gazina Van. A very good morning to you. Good morning, Alice. How are you doing? Very well, and you? All right, thanks. What a topic. I promise you, uh, I'm so glad that you brought this to our attention because I was a victim of eight house burglaries and break-ins of my rugby museum since 2006 to date, not included, and it also including one common assault as well. Oh, I see. Thank. Is that all you have to say? Then, then? No, 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 just to say that yeah, the thing is that all my cases has conveniently gone very cold and all that, mm-hmm. and I'm in a, I'm in a process of uh, making plans to immigrate to Scotland. Nice, I tell uh, yeah. you. All right, that's Van in Gazina. Uh, what are you telling me on the Facebook page as well as on the Twitter handle? Let's take a look there. Sandile Mbeja says, Jumbo Africa. In my view as the community, we are the ones who promote crime by respecting those who does crime acts in our townships uh, like Umlazi in Kwamashu. They are people that we know that they survive with crime. Even at their funeral, you find those who were his compatriots shooting guns in the air or closing the roads and 
instead of reporting them, we praise them because we are cowards and we target only the Nyaopes because they are weak and uh, unarmed. But the drug dealers and the robbers, we praise them. We need to be truthful as the communities and stop being cowards. If we deal with the crime, let's attack it in all corners, not only the weak Nyaopes. Nyabonga. Uh, so says uh, Sandile Mbeje there. Uh, on the Facebook page still, Nkosi Petz says, I think crime is a societal problem as we as a society are failing to raise our children with... Uh, uh, to raise our children. The problem starts at our homes where we have to discipline them. Police can't do it alone. And you're so right there. That is one thing that we need to bear in mind. Let's hear it from John in Cape Town. A very good morning to you, John. Morning, morning, Yalvas. How are you this morning? I'm very well, sir. And you? No, very well. Thanks for your program. Very well. A very nice topic this morning. Mm. Um, I'm a good listener of your show every morning. Thanks for that. Thank you. Um, so my take on this crime issue is uh, I think it's more uh, a community um, effort and the police as well. Um, as I will agree with the previous caller earlier, who said, uh, the, I mean, the, the police minister, we have to close the cities earlier, uh, especially over weekends. Um, I mean, we would see young children, you know, going to the Sabine. We have to make sure that the children under age don't go to Sabines. That is my take on it. And the music, especially during nights of communities, I'm staying in the town Sabine, Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from my experience, uh, yes, the police are doing visible patrols, but we as community also have to, I mean, we have to go back to the olden days where your child was my child. And I mean, that is what is happening in community nowadays. We don't care anymore for each other's children. Mm-hmm. All right, John in Cape Town. Your thoughts on it? Bibi Me on the Facebook page says, Jumbo Africa, September the 15th. Yay, it's payday. Laughing all the way to the bank. Cry the beloved country. 57 murders a day in South Africa. Life is short. Pray hard. Good luck to the box as they take on the All Blacks in Wellington. They would definitely need that. <laughs> Shosaloza, the Comrades Marathon 2019, is an uh, UP run on 9th of June. The PSL has a new sponsor, Outsurance. Durban welcomes the Yellow Nation. Masandawanas, Usutu take on Sundowns this weekend at King's Latini Stadium. And then Abafana Bestand at Princess Mogogo Stadium on Wednesday. Can Arrow shoot down Sundowns? Elvis, the petrol price is going to rocket in October. Have a super-duper splendiferous Saturday. Long weekend coming up. So, <laughs> BB me are very excited about that long weekend. Well, you can keep them coming. We'll read them as we continue. Four, uh, six minutes before the hour of seven. The security at Parliament has been placed under, secu- under scrutiny, rather, after a parliamentary official allegedly took his own life inside the parliamentary precinct. There are calls for investigation to determine how a firearm was smuggled into the premises as the precinct is a national key point. Lulama Matya reports. The incident has left parliamentary staff shocked and shaken. They are not feeling safe. So we are not safe here. To tell you the honest, I've been here for years and maybe longer than many of these colleagues standing here. For never have I feel like this that I feel today. Never have I experienced this that I experienced today. Never even in Parliament's dreams was the thought or the thinking that something like this will happen. The ANC caucus is calling for an investigation into a possible security breach. Caucus spokesperson Nungleba Mkhaule explains. 
we believe that this incident uh, calls into question quite a number of things in terms of how someone was able to enter with a gun in Parliament, um, was there security breach, etc. And we believe that there really needs to be uh, a thorough investigation as to how exactly this particular incident happened because Parliament at the end of the day is a national key point. Parliament says it's the first time a tragedy like this has happened at the institution. It says the safety and security of staff as well as visitors to Parliament is important. Spokesperson Muloto Motapo elaborates. Uh, it is not something that is desirable. Uh, it is a life of one of uh, the staff members that uh, is involved here. Uh, the whole institution is highly traumatized. The close colleagues as well as uh, the rest of the staff members of the institution uh, are affected uh, a lot by this. And uh, it is a matter that uh, uh, the presiding officers uh, will have to address uh, with uh, the South African Police Service uh, as they are investigating to ensure that uh, Something of this nature does not recur. Parliament says further details will be provided once the deceased family has been informed. The police are investigating. Lula Mamaika in Parliament. Three minutes before the hour of seven. Let's take a look at what you're telling me on the Facebook page as well as on the Twitter handle on the question, what can we do as a collective to curb crime? Davins Pele says, good morning, Elvis. I like the social so much. I keep, uh, I keep on, and keep on doing the good work. To answer your question about the Crime Minister of Police, Becky Pele, every six months, you should exchange the police by provinces. For example, the police who work in KZN, they must go to Limpopo. Limpopo, send them to the Eastern Cape. Eastern Cape must go to Cape Town. Cape Town to Gauteng. Gauteng to the Northwest. Northwest to the Northern Cape. So says Davins Pella. That's his solution to the question that we posed this morning. And uh, yes, sometime it's good to change the police from where they ordinarily would work for a number of years. Sigrid Hanik says, poverty, unemployment and inequality can only be re- Remedied by the upliftment of undereducated millions in townships without proper education, sanitation, and crime prevention. As long as there are no community centers providing facilities to draw the youth out of drug dens and shabines, this downward slide of South Africa will threaten to exceed the self destruction of Zimbabwe. These are some of your comments. Uh, You can still keep on with the conversation on the Facebook page. Remember, if you uh, like us there, you become part and parcel of uh, the big family. And uh, you can also do so on the SMS line and the Twitter handle. Let me just remind you of that Twitter handle. That Twitter handle, very important for you, is hashtag The Weekend View. You can also do it on my timeline at Elvis Preslin. And you can still send us a long form. And I'll read it from uh, the email address at preslin.e at sabc. But uh, that is all we have for you today. We wish that you have yourself a splendiferous Saturday, as uh, Bibi Mia would have it. So let's hope that you all enjoy a sporting weekend as well. Uh, Yes, the box are playing, and uh, let's hold our thumbs that they at least uh, come back with something. But from myself and the team, Arumo Kakana, Tizbehonga Namanashe, and Bontle Matsuatse, our technical producer, Ditron Godfrey, our senior producers, uh, Aubrey Suchia and Krivani Pillay. My name is Elvis Preston. 